For this morning, we're going to be looking to the letter, really the sermon of the book of Hebrews, chapter 12. We're going to be coming back to our study in Matthew here in a few weeks, but I kind of thought at the beginning of the year, um, it would be good just to kind of go back and remind some basic principles. So, so uh, for the month of January, um, it's a five-Sunday month, we're going to be looking at just some of the basics. This morning, we're going to be looking at pursuing biblical change. Uh, next week, we're going to be looking at the Great Commission from Matthew 28. And then the week after that, we're going to be looking at what it means, uh, you know, our, our three pillars of ministry, knowing the faith, living the faith, sharing the faith. And we're going to see that from 1 Thessalonians chapter 1. We're gonna see how Paul develops that. I don't know about you, but I wanna be a member of a church that Paul would get, that would get Paul excited, amen? And Thessalonians did that, and so we want to be, we wanna look at some of those principles he celebrates. And, uh, and then the last two Sundays, we're gonna talk about the ordinances. Uh, thought it'd be good to just go back, talk about baptism the first Sunday. I know some of you know I was recently in a seminar that really, that really, uh, emphasize that, and I got to thinking about it. It's like, you know, I've learned so much, and, and yet it's been a long time since we've really talked about it. So, uh, so we're going to do that. And then we're going to talk about communion on the fifth Sunday, and we're going to have communion again uh, on the fifth Sunday of this month. And so, so we're looking forward to that. And then, of course, we'll get back into our study of the Gospel of Matthew beginning at the first of February. So I'm excited about it. I hope you are too. Uh, but for now, let's look at pursuing biblical change from Hebrews chapter 12. And uh, let's go ahead and um, I'm not gonna ask you to stand, but let's look at uh, this text and read it aloud together from the board. Uh, Hebrews chapter 12, beginning in verse one. It says, therefore, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us also lay aside every weight and sin which clings so closely and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us, looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. This is the word of God this morning. You know... I don't know about you, I, this may be hard for you to believe, but, but sometimes I drive Roxanne crazy. I know that's a shock, but, uh, but sometimes I do. And, and one, of the reason, one of the things I do that really annoys her is that we, we go to different restaurants in town, and most of you know that the Mexican place is like our jam, right? We, we go there. Um, if you are what you eat, we are honorary Mexicans. So, uh, so we eat there a lot. And, uh, but one of the things that I do is that, you know, you get tired of eating the same old, same old, right? And so I'll go into this restaurant and I'll ask for a menu thinking to myself, I'm going to get something different. And I look at the menu and I look at the menu and I look at the menu and the guy's waiting for our order and Roxanne's on a time limit because she has to go back to work. And she finally just says, you know you're gonna order the same thing. Stop wasting my time. <laughs> and you know what I end up doing? I end up ordering the same thing, right? I mean, I, I get so tired of the same old, same old and that I want to do something different, but there's safety in the same old, same old, isn't there? 
Because at the end of the day, <laughs> I notice all the men are saying amen. <laughs> but but the, at the end of the day, the truth is, I know I like it. I know that I can eat it. I know that I can tolerate it. And I know that if I try something different and I don't like it, that's a waste of money and I can't have that. I don't know what's gonna happen if I order something new. And so I just kind of settle for the status quo and go back to the same old, same old again. It's safe. And in a strange sort of way, it's safe, isn't it? And I think that's one of the reasons why it's so hard to change is that even though we get so tired of the status quo, and this is true not only in our lives, but this is true at the church level, isn't it? That even though we are so tired of the status quo and we want to see God move, we want to see excitement, we want to see uh, people coming and getting saved, we want to see baptisms, but the truth is is that if we change, we don't know what's gonna happen, but if we go back to the status quo, at least we know it's safe. And I think that's one reason why it is so hard to change. But the Christian life, beloved, is all about change. It's all about faith, which if you think about it, is that if something is safe, it does not require faith, right? I mean, just a little sanctified logic there. And so it's so hard to change. We've been shepherded in certain ways that, that all throughout our lives, and then we have developed such extensive habits that respond in certain ways of living that is so long that it can seem impossible to move away from those things in order to conform our lives more into the image of Christ and to obedience of his word. It's easy to give up. As much as we may hate the status quo, It's so easy to give up and go back to it because at least we know what we can expect there. At least we know that it's safe. Beloved, my prayer this morning is that I will encourage you to make a commitment this year to pursue change, to step out in faith, to pursue change for the glory of Christ and obedience to his word and the expansion of his kingdom, not only in our community, but in our own hearts that we will pursue biblical change. And that's where I'm going to focus is that, is that we need to pursue that change within our own lives. This is what spiritual warfare is really all about. It is about going to holy war against the sin in our own hearts. And so that's what I want to encourage you to do this morning. And that's why the book of Hebrews, you need to understand about it. It's really more like a sermon, more like a sermon. In fact, he refers to it as a word of exhortation. Now, we don't know who wrote it, and I'm not gonna venture any guesses this morning. It's enough to say that God inspired it, and that's enough for me. And so we don't know who wrote it, but we do have some clues as to why he wrote it. Uh, Because as you look through, you find that there are these Jewish Christians to whom he wrote to, and he is and, and they are being tempted by pressure and by the community and by their culture to go back to their old Jewish ways, to go back to the same old, same old, even though they know that it is not for the glory of Christ. It hasn't quite gotten to the point of persecution yet. We actually see that. You can see that a couple of verses down in verse four. He says, you have not resisted to the point of shedding blood and you're striving against sin. So we know it hasn't come to physical persecution yet, but there is a temptation for them to go back to their old way of life. 
And if you think about how many times we've made New Year resolutions to where I'm going to read through the Bible this year, I'm going to become more faithful in prayer, I'm going to be more faithful in my giving to the church, I'm going to be more faithful in these, in these spiritual things, and yet we always go back to the same old, same old again. We, 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 we run back, we gravitate back toward those old destructive habits. Why? Because it's safe. Because it's safe. And so that's why chapter 12, verse one, begins the strong conclusion to the sermon. That he says, therefore, and he, and he says that we must run the race. Races are not easy. Races are difficult. But he says, run the race with perseverance. And what we see in verses one and two are some things that I think will help us in our pursuit of Christ-likeness in 2023, not only in our own personal lives, but at a corporate level in the church as well. And so in verses one and two, we see that in light of the temptation to give up, Christ commands us to run the race that is set before us this year. Simple as that, run the race. Run the race. In order to do that, we've got to remember some things. There's going to be temptations to give up. There's going to be temptations to go back to status quo. There's going to be temptations. There's going to be hardship. And so what do we need to remember when those things come? The author of Hebrews, God himself, is going to give us three reminders to remember when those times, when those temptations come. It's to keep your foundation, it's to keep fighting, and to keep focused. And so let's look this morning, beginning in verse one. When you're tempted to give in this year, I want you to keep your foundation. Keep the foundation. Look at the first part of verse one. He says, therefore, since we have so great a cloud of witnesses. Now, I wanna stop right there. And scripture, the spirit of God here, is reminding us to, they, about these witnesses that we have that are surrounding us. Who are they? Now, you remember the most basic rule of Bible study, one of the most basic rules of Bible study, right, is that when you come across a therefore, what do you need to do? You need to look up and see what it's there for, right? And so that's what we're gonna do here. He says, therefore, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, who are these witnesses? We need to go back in chapter 11. And what we find there is there, there is a whole history going back from creation all the way to what we believe is the present time of the, of the author's writing and showing that there is this long chain of faithfulness that we're seeing among these people. So that's the who, but, but what is it that they are witnessing to? What is it they are witnessing to? And I'll be honest with you, sometimes, in fact, a lot of times when I hear this sermon, when I hear this text in a sermon, it goes something like this. All those people were faithful and now they're in heaven and heaven's grandstands and they're watching you to see what you're gonna do, right? That's how I often hear this preached. The idea of spectators, which, which I mean, we are looking at the image of a race and race always has spectators. So, um, so I guess I can kind of see where they're coming from. But I don't think that's really the point here. Because if you look at every one of these people, they are a mixed bag. These people were not always faithful. 
In fact, Abraham, we know, you know, he, he threw his wife under the bus like twice, you know, ended up, ended up uh, marrying his concubine because he, got un, because he got impatient. We look at Isaac, he did the same thing. Jacob was a huckster. Uh, you look at people like, you know, then we get into the judges. Don't even get me started on these guys. I mean, these guys just got worse and worse and worse as the book goes on. And so, uh, yeah. God, why, why is it that we are being told about these men and why is it that we are being told that they are witnesses? Because beloved, what they are witnessing to is not the greatness of their faith, but what they are witnessing to is the greatness of the faithfulness of our God. That's what they are testifying to. That's a better understanding is that they are, that it is their testimonies that in spite of everything, all the mix-ups, everything these people did, God was faithful to keep his promises to them. And now they testify to us that God is gonna be faithful to us too. That you are, you are having to endure, you are having to run this race, but God is faithful. And that is your foundation. That it is the faithfulness of God. That no matter how hard the race gets, one thing you know is that the track is not going to fall out from under you. You're not going to run into a sinkhole. Because God is our foundation. His faithfulness is our foundation. Chapter 11 is often called the Faith Hall of Fame. I, I think that is a misnomer. I think it is the Faithfulness Hall of Fame because all of these stories are stories of God's faithfulness. Jesus is the hero of every story. He is the object of every picture. He is the substance of every shadow. He is everything. He is the whole point. It is his story that all of these other stories are working up to. And it is in the story of Jesus Christ and his redemption for us that is the climax of history, the climax of, of the scriptures. And it is the greatest moment of our lives. It is everything our lives is working out to. God was faithful into these promises to these men, in spite of them, in spite of them. God was faithful to them. He'll be faithful to you. He'll be faithful to Calvary Baptist Church. He'll be faithful to me. He'll be faithful to your family. He'll be faithful. You know, why is this so important? Because there have been times in my marriage that I have done some really stupid stuff. There have been times that I have sinned greatly against my wife. But instead of thinking that I have to run and hide, I know that I can go to her every time and confess my sin completely broken and she will forgive me. Why? Because we are covenanted together in marriage. And it is that covenant that gives us the freedom to grow together, make mistakes, gives us the freedom to be ourselves. It's that covenant, that, that, that covenant that we're into that gives us the freedom to grow into it, warts and all. And you see, it is the, in the, beloved, it is in the covenant that you are in with your Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. It is the new covenant that gives you the freedom to grow as a Christian. It is the new covenant that gives you the freedom to, to when you trip over your shoelaces, to get back up again and run the race some more. 
It is that covenant that gives you the freedom that says, when I, when I mess up, I don't have to run from my dad. When I mess up, I need to run to my dad. It is that covenant that gives you the freedom. That's your foundation. And you've tried a hundred times, haven't you, to run the race better? Haven't you? You've tried a hundred times and you failed. You say, Randy, how do you know that? Because I have. I have too. Like you, I've become discouraged. Like you, I've been tempted to give up and I've done so several times and yet each time I have come back to Christ. Each time I have come back to him. Hebrews 10, 23 says, let us hold fast to the confession of our hope without wavering for he who promised is faithful. He will not forsake you. He will not abandon you. So remember, always remember that the foundation of our life in Christ is his faithfulness and not ours. The foundation is his faithfulness. But then we come to our responsibility. What does our faithfulness entail? What does that look like? And that's where we see the rest of verse one talks about keep fighting. Keep fighting in that race. Look what he goes on. He says, laying aside every weight and the sin which so easily entangles us, let us run with endurance the race that is set before us. Now, obviously, the author is using the imagery of a race, right? Kind of, you, you might think of a, I don't know that you would think of a relay race, but you would think of a, a, just a race that you are running to win the prize. In fact, that is imagery that we find all over the New Testament. Paul used it. Uh, if I'm not mistaken, Peter used it as well. The imagery is clear that when you run a race, I want you to notice the first thing he does is that he says, when you run the race, you need to lay aside every weight and every sin that is going to so easily entangle you, that's going to ensnare you. And when you run a race, you talk to runners, one of the first things they do is they shed everything that is heavy on them. They wear shoes that are light on their feet. They wear ankle socks that you can't even see over the top of their shoes. They wear really loose clothing and, and they wear, uh, or at least they used to, I guess now they wear pretty tight clothing. I can't remember if bicyclers do that or anyway, you get the point. They're shedding everything that is on that. You're not gonna run in a suit like this, right? Because those weights and those things, it's going to encumber you. It's going to hinder you. It's going to hold you back. And the author is telling us, lay aside everything in your life that is going to hinder you, that is going to be an encumbrance and the sin that is going to trip you up. Now, granted, the specific imagery that God is using here might be new, but we're, we're familiar with, this, with these concepts, aren't we? Because we talk about this at Calvary a lot. Uh, the, the imagery that Paul uses, for example, is the put off and put on terminology, right? He uses that in Colossians. He uses that in Ephesians. Uh, you talk about James where he says, um, uh, um, he says, be renewed. Excuse me, Paul says that. James talks about be ye doers of the word, laying aside all malice, laying aside all those things and receive with meekness the engrafted word and be doers of the word. That same concept there. Psalm chapter one, we see it there and we see it here as too. 
Put off your old self that belongs with the former manner of life. Be renewed in the spirit of your minds and put on the new self. Beloved, do you see that connection? That when we talk about putting off the old self, we talk about laying aside the weight and the sin that so easily entangles us. When we talk about being renewed in our mind, we talk about going back to the scriptures and seeing those testimonies of faithfulness and understanding that God is gonna be faithful to us too. When we talk about putting on the new self, we talk about running the race with endurance. So, so the imagery may be new, but the concepts are the same. And so we're familiar with these concepts. Do you see the connection? He says, we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses. And so in light of that, what are we to do? We are to put off every encumbrance, every weight. It's really anything that hinders. It can be good. It can be bad. It's something that falls short of what is best for God's glory. You know, so often it's not that we choose between the good and the bad. We choose between the good and the best. That's what so often hinders us. And anything can become anything that we exchange God's glory for. I, I began to worship and serve my marriage instead of Christ. I began to worship and, and serve my job instead of Christ. All of those things. It can be good things, but it's things that begin to, we begin to replace God's glory for in our lives. We begin to worship the gift instead of the giver and worship and serve the creature rather than the creator. And so we talk about the weight, but we also talk about the sin that so easily entangles us or, or the ESV says clings so closely. I like what some of, some of you use the NIV and it says, I believe, ensnares you. That sin is something that is always bad and it has the potential of grabbing onto you and not letting go. It trips you up in your race. And again, what is the author's point of view? What kinds of things is he talking about? I don't think we have to go very far. Look down in the chapter. And look, at cha look at verses 15 and 16. Look what he says here. In, um, let me get in the right chapter. Look what he says here, verses 15. He says, see to it that no one falls short. See that tripping up terminology there. See to it that no one falls short of the grace of God. And watch this. What are some things that will cause us to do that? That no root of bitterness springing up, causing trouble, and by it many be defiled. So watch out for a root of bitterness that springs up in your life. And then you go into verse 16. That there be no sexually immorality. That no immorality causes you to stumble, trips you up and ensnares you in your life. Lay that aside. Then he also says ungodliness or unholiness. What does he mean by that? Well, look, look, look at the example he gives. He gives the example of Esau. You remember what Esau did? He, uh, he was hungry. He had his birthright. He sold his birthright. That was the responsibility to carry on the family faith. He sold that to, to instantly gratify himself with a bowl of soup, right? And, and what we mean here, here by ungodliness or unholiness, what, what is being talked about here is the temptation to separate from what is to God's glory in order to satiate or satisfy our immediate desires, and man, how often we do that. 
How often we do that? I want it now, and God's glory is a distant second. How often are we tempted to do that, to, to lay aside God's glory in our lives in order to satisfy ourselves right now? And so there's wrong values. We value the here and now above the glory of God. And beloved, just speaking from a, from a corporate point of view in the church, beloved, there will always be those for whom the glory of God is not their greatest priority. And we can't follow them. We can't, and, and in our lives, we have to guard against that temptation. There will be times we are tempted that the glory of God will not be our greatest priority. And we must guard against that. And anything that we think that we must have right now to the expense of God's glory, anything that I'm willing to sin to get or willing to sin if I don't get, those are things that we need to lay aside as we run the race. And so what does it mean to run the race? He says, we gotta lay these things aside. But then he goes on and he says that we must run the race with endurance. We must put on, run the race. Our life, beloved, sanctification, holiness is a continual process of putting off, putting on, putting off the old self, putting on the new. And as we are more and more renewed in the spirit of our minds through the word of God, we put off more, we put on more. We put off self more, we put on Christ more. We die to self more, we take up our cross more. We do all of these things in order that God will get the glory from our race. That, that the prize, that we will win the crown in order that we may lay it down at his feet and give him all the glory. This, this sounds so big and impossible. I mean, it's huge, right? How many of you want to run out this afternoon and run a marathon? Well, that just sounds great, doesn't it? <laughs> nope, <laughs> not me. I'm taking a nap in my chair, probably with a donut in my hand. <laughs> so... But guys, let me ask you a question. How do you win a race? How do you win a race? Let me ask you this. You know, you know, so often in churches, I see that there's such an emphasis on the big decisions. And we've even created new words for it, like rededication and, and stuff like that. And, and we emphasize you need to make big commitments to Christ. And every time you know, kids, year after year, they come back to camp from the, with these big commitments that they've made. And so often, they lay those commitments aside within just a few weeks. What happens? Because how is a race run? How is a race won? You don't run it in three or four big leaps. You run it in thousands of tiny steps. And what so often happens is that we make these big commitments only for them to be set aside in two or three weeks because even though we made this big decision for Christ, we go home and we start making a thousand tiny decisions that lead us the other way. 
And so, beloved, what the way we run a race is one tiny step at a time. Stop trying to compete in the high jump and run the race. You're never going to win the race if you're trying to run if you're trying to win it in four or five giant leaps. Take tiny steps. Tiny steps. How is the race won? Simple. I choose to not respond to my spouse in anger today. Even when she offends me. That's a tiny step. I choose that instead of giving up my right to something, I choose to die to my right and serve another person. That's a tiny step. I choose to treat you with love and grace instead of be harsh with you because I don't approve of your life choices. That's a tiny step. I choose instead of taking that drink that I want so bad, I want so badly, I want to take this drink again, but instead I choose to call a friend and tell him I'm struggling and ask for prayer and encouragement. That's a tiny step. That's a tiny step. Instead of looking at that website that you want to view so badly, you choose to put down the phone and sing a hymn to yourself or or reflect on a scriptural truth or a passage. That's a tiny step. And so, and after a period of time, a thousand tiny steps equals big change. A thousand tiny steps equals a 26 mile marathon. That's how you win a race. Stop trying to compete in the high jump and start running the race. Make tiny decisions. Those decisions, those tiny things, so they seem so insignificant. Paul says, Whatever, whether you eat or drink, do all to the glory of God. Something as mundane as eating and drinking, it's so insignificant. And yet it is filled with significance, not because it's big, but because it is so small. It is the small moments in life that we choose to be Christ-like or not. Do you see that, beloved? Do you see that, church? Beloved, stop trying to take the giant leaps and start taking the tiny steps. And over time, those tiny, little, insignificant moments will turn into a life full of significance to the glory of Jesus Christ. One of the early church fathers, he wasn't the best theologian, but he was by far the best preacher. His name means John the Golden-Mouthed, John Chrysostom. Here's what he says. He says, faithfulness in little things is a big thing. Beloved, will you be faithful in the little things? Will you be faithful today when you make the tiny decisions? That's where... That's where real change happens. And so run the race. The Christian life is a race. Stop running it like it's a high jump competition. Run the race. And when you're tempted to give in, don't just keep fighting, keep focused. Keep focused. Look at verse two. Fixing our eyes on Jesus. And I love this wording. The author and perfecter of our faith. He not only began our faith, he's going to complete it. 
who for the joy set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and has sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. Oh, there's so much I wanna say here, but I know you're probably getting hungry, so I won't. There's so much I wanna say, but let me, let me just kind of give you kind of the, the, the big idea here. We fix our eyes on Christ, who is the author and perfecter of our faith. Look at who Christ is. He is the author of our faith. He is the one who brought you to himself. And if that is the case, then he is the one who will perfect you. There is a, there, there is a holy and divine logic to salvation. Sometimes people accuse uh, those like me. They say, oh, your, your doctrine is just so logical. Beloved, there is a holy and divine logic to salvation. After all, Christ, after all, God created logic, right? So doesn't it make sense that his truths would be logical? Don't run away from it. He says here, there's a, there's a holy and divine logic. Look at, look at Philippians chapter one, verse six. Paul says, I am sure of this, that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Jesus Christ. Beloved, if you are the author of your salvation, then you are the one who has to, that has to perfect it. But if Christ is the author of your salvation, then he is the one who will perfect it. If God is the one who began the good work in you, he is the one who will bring it to completion. We have, no, he had nothing to do with it. He did it all and he wins. Beloved, just as we said for verse one, Christ is the hero of every story in scripture. He is the substance of every shadow. He is the point of every type. He is, he is the object of every sacrifice. And he is the greatest hero of every story in scripture. And he is the hero of your life. When you go to heaven, it will not be because you made the right decision. It will be because Christ bought you. I will not be walking around at heaven boasting saying, look how smart I was that I made the right choice. No, you're gonna be walking around heaven saying, look how great God is. Because he who gives the grace gets the glory. That's right. So we're reminded of that. For the joy that was set before him, he endured the cross, despising the shame. So much I wanna say there, but is now seated at the right hand of the Father. And what is he doing there? Beloved, he is pleading for you. He is advocating for you. He is preparing a place for you. And he and the Father has sent the Holy Spirit to you. And he lives in you. And he is preparing you for the place that Christ is preparing for you. He wins. He gets all the glory. And that's why Paul says in Romans 5.10, for if while we were enemies, we were reconciled to God by the death of his son, how much more now that we are reconciled shall we be saved by his life? Christ Jesus is alive today, beloved. And as long as he is alive, you will be too if you are in him. There's a holy and divine 
logic here. Look at Romans chapter eight, verses 32. He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, how will he not also with him graciously give us all things? In the context, everything that the book of Romans promises you in salvation. Can you really look at the cross and see Jesus dying on the cross and doubt his willingness to save you to the, to the utter end? That's what, that's what the book of Hebrews is arguing, is that because Christ is a priest forever, according to the order of Melchizedek, because he is a priest forever, he stands forever before the presence of God, and therefore he is able to save you forever. There is, there is at no point that Christ is going to die again and another priest needs to take his place. That's why I'm not your priest, I'm your pastor. At no point is anyone else gonna come in and step aside where Christ fails you. At no point is there going to be any change. Christ is a priest forever. And because he is a priest forever, he stands in the presence of God. And as long as he does, beloved, you are safe. As long as he does, you are forgiven. And as long as he does, you are saved to the uttermost is the wording that the author of Hebrews uses. Why in the world would we settle for a lesser priest? Why would we settle for a lesser salvation? Why would we settle for anything less than the glory of God? And why would we not spend and be spent in order that we may win the race for his glory? That's what we need to be reminded of. So how do we practically look to Jesus? You know, that, that sounds great, but what does it mean practically? And, and again, there's so much I wanna say here, but I would encourage you today, go back and, and read through chapters 12 and 13 and you find all kinds of practical ways to do that. Like for example, in verse three, consider him who endured such hostility by sinners against himself. Uh, for example, he goes on in, in that text, he says, remember that, that when you are being disciplined, God is treating you as a son, right? That's how we look to Christ. We remember that we are sons of God. It says in verse 14, pursue peace with all men, sanctification without which no one will see the Lord. That's how we look to Christ. Uh, there, there's so many practical ways, and I, and I would love to go through them all, but for time restraint, I can't. But please go home this afternoon and read these two chapters and find all those practical ways that we look to Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith. And so, beloved, I challenge you this year, don't give up. You may have given up a hundred times, but, but don't give up this year. Keep on going, keep on going. Christ is the foundation of your faith. He, he charges you to keep fighting and he reminds you, keep focused on me. Look to Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith. You know, here, here's the thing. Biblical change is not hard. Biblical change is not hard, beloved. Biblical change is not easy. It's impossible. It is impossible. You and I can't do it. You and I do not have the strength to change 
in a biblical way that'll glorify Christ. We just can't do it. And so like the apostles, we ask, who can be saved? Who can be saved then? I mean, if it's easier for a camel to squeeze through the eye of a sewing needle for someone to be saved, then how in the world can someone be saved? That's impossible. And just like he said to the apostles, Christ is saying to you today that what is impossible with man is possible with God. And so look to Jesus. Look to Jesus. You know, I, I, I debated what, what, what are some closing practical helps I can give you. And I, and I, and I debated what, what is the most practical thing I can do. And, and there's this passage in the Pilgrim's Progress, if you've ever read it. It's toward the end. It's by John Bunyan, that great Baptist devotional writer of the 1600s. And, um, and I actually added it this morning. Do you have that slide there? Yeah, there it is. And so what, what do we do? How do we recognize that we are turning back from the race? How do we recognize this year that we are once again giving up? And I'm gonna post this picture today on Facebook because I know there's a lot there, but the, the first thing you would ask is, am I preoccupied by something else? It could be something good. Am I preoccupied with school? You know, that's a question I gotta ask myself. Am I preoccupied with school? Am I preoccupied with with, with children, all that, but, but have I become preoccupied with something? And then I begin to start neglecting private duties. I'm not praying at home anymore. I'm not, I'm not using my closet. I'm not, I'm not reading scripture and meditating and reflecting on those truths every day. I'm starting to neglect private duties. And then I begin to shun warm Christians, beloved when you start seeing a believer or a brother in church who is beginning to shun warm fellowship in the church, that's a brother in trouble. That's someone in trouble. We need to reach out to him as soon as we see it. That's someone who is, who is hurting. That's someone who is preoccupied. That's someone who's shunning. We've, 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 got, we've got to run to them, not run away from them. And then they begin to neglect. If, if, we, if they're left in that condition, then they begin to start neglecting public duties. They're not coming to church anymore. The teens aren't coming to, they're not sending their kids to church anymore. They're, they're shunning the youth group. They're shunning the children's ministry. They're, they're doing those kinds of things. They start to shun public duties. And then they begin to criticize churches and criticize Christians. And then they begin to associate with carnal people. They start finding more uh, camaraderie and people who are not faithful to Christ. Like attracts like. And then they start to indulge in secret sin. And the more you do that, it's not too long before you begin to indulge in open sin. You start to show your true colors. And then, if you're not rescued, you become hard-hearted to God. So beloved, I, I, I couldn't think of anything more practical to give you this morning. Where, are you in that cycle? Are you in that cycle? Do you recognize yourself there? Then just like Christ told the Ephesians, return to your first love. Do the works you did at the beginning and come back to him. Maybe this morning you need to come down and confess a sin. Or maybe you need to say, not a, not a, don't, don't try to make a big commitment, but just, just say, you know what? 
today, I'm gonna spend 10 minutes. I'm, I'm gonna do what Randy said. I'm gonna, I'm gonna read Hebrews 12 through 13. But then tomorrow, I'm not gonna stop there. I'm just gonna, I'm gonna spend another five minutes, another 10 minutes. I'm just gonna keep going. I don't know how to pray very well, but I'm gonna do it. And it's gonna feel awkward, but I'm gonna do it. I'm gonna muscle through it. I'm gonna start small. I'm gonna let it grow. That's okay. That's okay. Whatever it is, Beloved, if you're here and you don't know Christ as your savior, that is one big commitment you need to make. And you need to make it today. And I'll be here at the front. If that's a need that you have, I want you to come. No one will laugh at you. No one will criticize you. We will celebrate with you. Amen? We will spend and be spent for the rescue of your soul. Whether you are lost and need a savior, or whether you are turning back and you need to return to your first love, we will spend and be spent for you. We're not gonna criticize you. We are gonna celebrate with you that God has opened your heart. Our Father, we thank you for these truths, Lord. I thank you that you have given us this charge in yourself. And Lord, I pray this morning that if there's one here who, maybe they're here and they need to know Christ as their Savior, Maybe they're here this morning and they are turning back. They've recognized themselves in that cycle that you gave to your servant, John Bunyan, so many years ago. Maybe they're here this morning and they've received the word, but they need to confess in baptism. Or perhaps they're here this morning and they want to join a warm fellowship. I pray that they will find Calvary warm and on fire for you. Or whatever the need is, I pray that you would do business with your people this morning. And I pray that you would bring us back to our first love always. That we would do the works we did at the beginning. And we would run the race. If you have a need this morning, I invite you to come. Let's, let's stand and just bow our heads for a moment. I'm gonna ask Miss Merlin to play. If you're here this morning and you have something you wanna do or you have a need, just come on down. You don't have to talk to me. Maybe you need to find a friend out there. Maybe you need to talk to your Sunday school teacher or, or one of the godly men that God has given us as deacons. Maybe you need to talk to one of our godly women. Whatever the need is. Maybe you need to join the church. Maybe you need to, be, maybe you need to confess the Lord in baptism. Whatever the case is, would you come? Share your desire and let us pray for you.